Well, if you have a question about uh, the sermon that's about to come, uh, gfcdonmills.live uh, is where you go to ask a question, a short question to understand or apply the text. But as we look at God's word, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, what an amazing fact that the spirit who inspired the word is the same spirit who indwells every believer. We have the author of scripture uh, with us today to help us understand and apply it. And Father, we not only have the Holy Spirit to help us understand, but uh, empower us to obey it. So we ask now, would your spirit help us as we look at this short but important passage? And may we run with endurance the race that is set before us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I know I don't look like a runner, but there was a, a few years, I'm not like Nick, but um, a few years ago, I ran a, a number of half marathons. And I remember one in particular, it was like just a beautiful Sunday morning and I uh, got to the end of the half marathon and I felt great. I felt like I could just run forever. Now, I, at the, I had to end at that point. Uh, in that moment, I was thinking, I really wish that I had uh, decided to run the full marathon because I think I could just run. It was one of those days where I just felt great. The weather was beautiful. It was cool and I just felt energized. I felt like I could keep running and do it all over again. Now, I relate that to actually people who've run a full marathon, and they said, no, 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 you don't understand. You can run a half marathon as kind of like, you know, you can get there, but running a full marathon is a totally different thing. Around the two-hour mark, around uh, 18 to 20 miles, something happens your body stops converting the sugars and switches its energy stores to fats and proteins. And that's when you hit the wall. You've heard of this, right? You hit the wall. You don't do that running a half marathon, but you do hit that wall running a full marathon. Here's what happens. Your legs start to feel heavy. Your vision could go blurry. You might experience muscle cramps and you might even feel disoriented. Now there are strategies, obviously people run full marathons, but you need to be prepared for hitting the wall. You can't just run uh, based on your sugar in your blood. You've gotta have a strategy for running the rest of the way. And the same thing is true in your spiritual life as well. According to scripture, you can actually receive the word of God and have a running start in obeying God. But if you are going to run and finish the race, you need to tap into a different energy source. You're gonna need a strategy to run with endurance, the race that is set before you to actually finish the race. We've been looking at Hebrews the past few months, and today's passage focuses on a very real problem that this letter is meant to address. It's written to a church that was getting old and was losing its wartime mentality and starting to drift and lose its steam. They had hit the wall and they were starting to slow down. They couldn't make it to the end. Their hands were growing weak, their knees were feeble, and it was easy just to meander and not actually finish the race, not actually finish the marathon that was set before them. And so it's like a, a runner who's hit the wall, like a car that run out, ran out of gas and is sputtering on empty. This church was not on track to finishing the course. And the writer writes to them and says, I want to help you actually make it the rest of the way. I don't want you to uh, start well and then 
uh, begin to sputter and not finish well. And friends, the reality is there's a lot of us here today who are tired. I don't know how long you've been following Jesus, but I know that many of us have uh, gone as far as we can go on our own strength. You might be feeling today like, man, I can barely, I, I'm, I'm just not doing well spiritually. I feel like I've come to the end of my own reserves. I can't make it all the way to the end. Today's passage is for you. And friends, the stakes couldn't be higher. In Hebrews over and over again, uh, the writer shakes us and says, I want you to understand what's at stake here. There's five warning passages that we've looked at in the book of Hebrews. And over and over again, he's trying to shake us and say, guys, don't stop running the race. So he said things like, uh, if you get tired and uh, basically step out of the race, if you falter, if you stop running, here's what's at stake. You're in danger of refusing to obey the voice of the living God who speaks to his son. You're in danger of treating Jesus with utter contempt by crucifying him again, subjecting him to public disgrace. You're in danger of rejecting the new covenant sacrifice by which the work of uh, atonement was completed. In other words, he's saying this is actually serious. Uh, in chapter 10, a few weeks ago, Jason preached this passage a uh, very convicting one. If we go sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume his adversaries. As so we're trying to say, guys, you're getting tired. You, you're not there. You're not at the finish line. You need to finish. This is serious. You've got to run the race and make it to the end. The question is, How? The question is, you know, how do we actually, when we get to the end of our own store, energy stores and we're getting really tired, we're not going to make it on our own, what do we actually do? How do we make it to the end? This, this week I read uh, somebody who said, you know, what a tragedy to run the first 95 meters of a 100-meter race well and get five meters shy of the end and falter. How do we actually make it and cross the finish line well? Well, today's passage answers that question. We don't just need a warning. We actually need some practical steps we can take if we are to run the race and finish well. And today's passage gives us uh, two practical steps that we can take in order to finish the race well. Every one of us needs this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need this. And here's the first thing he says, the first step that he says, lay aside every encumbrance. Lay aside every encumbrance of verse 1, Therefore, uh, you notice the reasoning here. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's referring back to chapter 11, this uh, hall of fame, of, of a hall of faith. He says, uh, we've got all these witnesses who finish well. Let us therefore lay aside, also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It brings to mind, that year, a uh, winter race that I uh, ran in Burlington, and I still remember it was freezing cold, and all of us are at the beginning line waiting for the starting gun to, sign, uh, to sound. And we've got parkas and blankets on, and we're ready, as we're shivering, uh, we're waiting for the race to start. Well, all of a sudden, the gun goes off, and the blankets were thrown to the ground. I took a blanket from home that our daughter didn't want anymore. And I was like, okay, like, that's, I'm, that's not coming home. It's like, 
Uh, it's just like you, you, and guys with parkas, women with parkas are throwing them on the ground. You don't run a race with extra weight. You need that at the beginning to keep yourself warm. But once the race starts, if you're going to finish that race, you get rid of every weight possible because you need to run that race and that extra weight isn't going to help you finish the race. And here, the author pictures, pictures the Christian life as a race. Not a sprint, but a race. And it's interesting because he pictures uh, the Christian life as a race surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. Uh, as I said, Hebrews 11 last week, we looked at these people who are flawed and perfect, weak people who actually were faithful to the end. Uh, they trusted what God said is true. I'm so grateful for Hebrews 11 because it's not a list of people who are better than we are. It's a list of people who are just like we are, full of weakness, who made mistakes, but God was gracious to them and gave them the, uh, by his grace, the enablement to finish well, to trust what God says is true, despite the obstacles. And they ran the race. They finished the course. And they're examples to us of how to do it. And here he says, now we're surrounded by the cloud of witnesses. I used to picture, you know, almost like we're running the race. And on the stands is our, our Moses and Abraham and, and all these, you know, the, the judges, they're all watching us. You know, they're all sitting there. You know, the vendors are coming by with hot dogs and uh, they're like a Jays game and, and they're watching us. You know, we're on the race. I don't think that's what he's talking about. When he says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, I think what he's saying is their lives testify. Their witnesses in terms of their lives speak to us and say, we finished the race. You can do it too. In other words, if they were able to finish the race faithfully, we can look at their example and say, man, if they could do it, we have the Holy Spirit by his strength. We're not alone. We can suffer and endure like they did. We can make it to the end. They're telling us it can be done. We did it too. John Owen said this, all the saints of the Old Testament, as it were, are standing looking on us. He's picturing them in the stands, a little bit different than what I'm saying, but they're looking on us with their striving, encouraging us to do our duty. They're ready to testify. This is what I think they're saying. They're ready to testify to our success with their applause. They're placed about us to this end. We are compassed about them. So friends, we are not alone. As we run this race, by God's grace, we can run it because many have run it before. They were no better than we were. They doubted. They struggled. They were tired. They uh, got it wrong a lot of the times, but they had God's grace. By God's grace, they finished now, you are not the first to get tired in the Christian life. You are not the first to get tired. God enabled them. He will enable us. We can look at their example and say, because they did it through the Holy Spirit, we can do it too. But he says, we've got to lay aside weight if we're to do this. What do we have to lay aside? Uh, two categories of things. It's the first, sin. Lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Don't you love the realism of what he writes here. Has anybody ever found that sin clings closely to them? Isn't it so frustrating? I, sin is persistent. Uh, temptation to sin, I think of it like, have you ever had something stuck to you and you try to peel it off? Uh, maybe it's got static and the minute you peel it off, it's like, it's right. Isn't sin like that sometimes? You try to peel it off and it's just so persistent, it, it sticks to you. And here he says, you know, sin is like that. 
You think you've conquered it, but it keeps coming back. It looks so enticing, but he says, it's gonna cost you the race. Don't let it cling to you. Don't take sin lightly. Realize the threat that sin poses to you finishing well. Lay it aside and get rid of it. And here's the gospel reality. Uh, Romans 6 and other passages say that not only is Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, not only is he delivered you from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. Uh, it used to be that you were basically powerless. If you're, a, a, if you're not a, a follower of Jesus Christ, sin does actually have power over you. It, it just grabs you. It holds you. The reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, sin no longer has power over you. And you and I might be sitting there saying, it sure feels like it has power over me. Like, it still feels like, you know, the, the thing is, the reality is, sin no longer has that kind of power over us, but we feel like it does. But here the author reminds us, like, through Jesus Christ, now we have the ability to, we're not uh, perfect, but now we have the ability to actually flee from sin. And the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to put aside sin. But we still love sin. We still love temptation. It still looks so tempting to us. One thing that happens with Shar and I as the older we get is we just see how devastating sin is. It used to be that it would be like, well, a little sin really won't do that much damage. A few years ago, I heard somebody say, like, imagine you got in your car uh, in the parking lot and you were driving away and you look over at the passenger seat and you notice a, a, a viper there. And you're like, that's weird. Like, how did a viper get into my car? Well, what would you do in that case? You would not drive like, I'm on Eglinton, really there's nowhere to pull over here. Uh, maybe I'll wait till there's a parking lot where I can pull into. No, what you would do is you would break. You wouldn't care if a car rear-ended you. There's a viper on the passenger seat. You would flee out of that car. And you would, like people would be looking at you, they'd be honking, you'd be just like, I don't care. I'm not getting back in that car. I don't care if I, like I'm not gonna be in a car with a viper. Do you realize sin is like that? The reality is that sin has the same agenda in your life. It wants to destroy you. It wants to kill you. Sin is a clear and present danger to your soul. And the biblical teaching is, don't make peace with sin. Don't ignore it. Don't wait to deal with it. As John Owen said, kill sin or it will kill you. Not just big sins, but any kind of sin. And so Hebrews says, we've got to lay this aside. Uh, Thomas Brooks, the Puritan said, it is a sad thing to depart from God for a trifle. It is the greatest folly to venture hell for a small matter and to break with God for a little. For the love of one little sin, some have lost God and their souls forever. Many times small sins are more serious. Great sins startle a soul and awaken it to repentance. But little ones breed the work secretly until they trample the soul. Sin grows by degrees until you cannot prevail over it. And so we are a church full of sinners. I am a pastor, a preacher who sins and struggles. If you don't believe me, talk to my family. They'll tell you. The reality is sin is a clear and present danger to our souls. None of us are sinless. But also, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't make peace with sin in your life. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, you're not alone. There's others in this room that are struggling with it. The greatest, one of the greatest dangers for your soul is for you to just go, well, everyone's a sinner. 
I guess I'll just be okay with my sin. I'm not gonna keep it private. And here Hebrews says, no, you gotta put it aside. It's gonna threaten your ability to finish the race. You've actually gotta declare war on that sin. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It could be covetousness, which by the way, is one of the most dangerous sins. It's not as obvious, it's subtle. It's this constant desire for more. It could be hatred. It could be today you're consumed with anger over somebody who's hurt you. It could be laziness. It could be lust. I would venture to say that somebody said with a sexual sin, they used to say to people, um, do you struggle with sexual sin? And they thought this is obviously in a very intimate context where you're at that level of intimacy. You don't just walk up to anybody and ask that question. But in a very intimate setting, you would say, do you struggle with sexual sin? And a while ago, he said, I've just stopped asking that question. And what I've started asking is, how do you struggle with sexual sin? Uh, I'm just assuming everyone, we're all sexually broken. How, what's your particular struggle? Uh, Whatever it is, it could be ingratitude, pride. I mean, I'll just acknowledge one of mine, grumbling. You know, if I am not careful, I can just become uh, irritable. What is it that is endangering your walk with God? What sin is it? Well, Hebrews says, you've got to lay it aside. You've got to declare war on it. Uh, We've got to actually become a fight club where we say, it's going to be hard. I'm going to, sin clings to me. It's not like I'm just going to be able to say, that's it. Like I'm going to stop it today. You won't be able to do it on your own strength. We're going to get to that in a minute. But we need to declare war. We are not going to make peace with our sin. One of the biggest encouragements I would ask you to uh, consider today is find another trustworthy Christian friend and actually acknowledge them, I'm struggling with this. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. Uh, I think we need to get rid of the word accountability. Hear me out. Accountability, I think, is an okay word, but I think what it came to mean is, like, I'll tell you my sin, and you kind of go stop it, and uh, then you say, but God has forgiven you, and the next week you repeat the process. I actually think what we need is transparency, where somebody, I don't know, not everyone needs to know your sin, but somebody's got to know your sin. We've just got to say, we're not going to hide it anymore. We're just going to come out in the open and say, here's what I'm struggling with. I don't want to have any secrets. I want to declare a war on this. The sin is clinging to me, but I'm not going to make peace with it, and I need your help. Would you help me battle this sin? That's the first thing he says we've got to get rid of. Now, as we're going to get to, you can't do this on your own. It will require effort, but it will require God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. But make no room for that sin. Treat it like this snake in a car, a viper, and get rid of it because it's a danger to your soul. And so right now, I just want to say some of us came in today and we've just made peace with a certain sin in our life. Today, though, The word of the Lord is not to heap condemnation on you or to make you feel shame. The word of God to you today is you just can't keep going with that uh, because God wants you to finish the race. Don't leave today without resolving to talk to a brother or sister and say, I just want to be open with you. I need your prayer. Uh, Beginning today, it's going to be a long walk, but I need help in overcoming this sin with God's help. You know, it's interesting. He doesn't just mention sin here. 
The second thing that he says to lay aside is actually anything that slows you down. Let us also lay aside every weight, not just sin, but anything that slows you down in your walk with God. If you've never read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, uh, man, it's such a good book. And in Shoe Dog, he talks about the whole, how he started Nike. And uh, there's one interesting part of the, of the book where he says that they're fanatical about shaving ounces off their shoes. One ounce, he writes, sliced off a pair of shoes is equivalent to 55 pounds over one mile. I don't know how he comes up with that, but here's what he's saying. Like every ounce of a shoe's weight is actually important in running the race. And here, the writer to Hebrews says, like, guys, sin is going to prevent you from finishing the race well. Uh, but you know what else is going to slow you down? Extra weight. Uh, just anything you're carrying that isn't helpful, that's weighing you down as you try to finish the race. I'm so challenged by Susanna Wesley, uh, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who've written many songs that we sing. And here's what she taught her boys one time. What's sin? And she said, sin isn't just, you know, all the things scripture tells you to avoid. Here's what she said to her kids. Here's what's sinful for you. Whatever weakens your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God, whatever takes off your relish of spiritual things, in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it might be in itself. In other words, what she's saying is this. Is Instagram sinful? Now, she wasn't talking, uh, Instagram hadn't been invented yet. Is Instagram sinful? No. Does Instagram, is it possible that Instagram could dull your appetite for God? That it could weaken the reason of your conscience? That it, it could obscure your sense of God? Then if it does that, it's sin for you. It's extra weight, get rid of it. Is Netflix sinful? Well, maybe, depends what you're watching on it. There's a lot of good shows on Netflix. Could Netflix slow you down in your walk with God? Then get rid of it. Anything that slows you down, hobbies, social media, uh, certain friendships, certain uh, activities, if they begin to dull your appetite for God, Hebrews is saying, get rid of them, lay them aside. Lay aside everything that's slowing down your pursuit of God. If we understand that we're in danger of not finishing the race, one of the most important actions we can take is to lay aside every encumbrance. And so friends, please take this seriously. Uh, spend time today thinking about what it is that is slowing you down in pursuing God. Lay it aside, and you can't do this on your own. Uh, the, Christianity is not about self-help, about being more disciplined, of trying harder. What it is, though, is about coming to God in honesty about what's weighing... It's coming to God and saying, I need help. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. And today, one of the best things we could do is to come to God and say, I am powerless. This thing's got a hold of me, but I know you can help me. So I'm just going to come clean and beg you, Father, I need your help. Send your Holy Spirit. You know, give me the right friend to talk to. Whatever it is that's slowing you down, though, we've got to come to the foot of the cross and say, God, I need your help. We've got to reach out to others and say, I really need you to help me do this. Uh, and by God's spirit, we don't have to run the race with sin clinging to us or with other things that are slowing down. We've got to lay aside these encumbrances if we're going to follow God. 
But here's the second part. I'm so glad that he, he has a second practical point we can take. Let me just pause before I get to the second thing. Like, man, as I said, the older I get, the more I just see the devastation that sin causes. Uh, it's like a bomb crater. You're like, the, the impact. I've just seen so many of my friends now who've uh, held a secret sin and eventually the sin explodes and it destroys their life. But the collateral damage is that doesn't just destroy their life, it just destroys like their family. Uh, the impact, the bomb crater is huge. Please, please, please uh, take the first one seriously, whatever it is today. But here's the second thing he says. Don't just lay aside the encumbrances, but second, look to Jesus. And here's where I just feel like, man, one was heavy, two is, fills me with hope. Verse two says this. Well, verse one, let's begin with verse one. Since we're crowned by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and sin which sings, uh, clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And then he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The verse one was convicting, and you're like, ah. Verse two is hopeful. The writer has just given us a whole chapter of examples of people who've trusted God against the odds. And now he gives us one more example, the ultimate example of one who ran and completed the race. Hebrews 11 gives us all these people, and Hebrews 12 begins with, let me give you one more example, Jesus. Look to how he ran the race. Look how he honored the Father, even by enduring the cross. Look at how he was willing to suffer. And he's applying this to us. He's saying, we must be too. So friends, would you look at Jesus today? Uh, Jesus, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ obeyed God perfectly. Uh, for the joy, you might be saying, what is the joy that was set before him? Well, actually, he tells us that now he's seated at the right hand of the throne. God vindicated him as a result of his obedience. Uh, God uh, took his obedience, and because he went to the lowest level in obedience to God, God exalted him. That was the joy set before him, and we are beneficiaries of that joy. Our salvation is a result of that. But for the sake of that joy, he died for our sins. Jesus Christ bled for your sins. He took your sins upon him. He died the most shameful, despicable death possible. He went to the cross naked and not just suffering the physical agony, but also the spiritual agony, bearing the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Because of that, God exalted him. And the writer is saying, as you look at the hall of fame of people who honored God despite the odds, look at Jesus. Look what he did for you. Look at his willingness to suffer. God exalted him. Surely God will do the same for you as you suffer. Because God is in the business of it. You know, there's no job that you could lose that God will not more than make up for it in the end. If you have to suffer, if you have to, if you have to go through the worst thing possible in this life. Surely God will do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. He will redeem your suffering. He will exalt you. He'll bring glory to himself. But you know, Jesus is more than an example. 
If somebody said to me, Daryl, play basketball, just look at Stephen Curry, do what Stephen Curry does, you'll be fine. I'd say like, yeah, right, there's not a chance that's gonna happen. And so I'm grateful that here in Hebrews 12, it says that not only is Jesus an example, but it says looking to Jesus, not only is the example, but also the founder and perfecter of our faith. Friends, today Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, he initiated your faith. The reason that you trust in Jesus is because by sheer grace, Jesus looked upon you and chose you to himself. Jesus not only initiated the salvation of all humanity, but in, in your particular case, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he initiated your followership. He took the initiative and drawn you to himself. And so look to Jesus. He began that work in you. If you were here today, I know there's some people here today who aren't believers in Jesus Christ. You might be here exploring the Christian faith. And I'll tell you, I, I've been there myself. Some of you are there saying, I'm not sure, but I just feel this irresistible tug to explore this. I don't know why. Can I tell you why? It could be that Jesus is initiating your faith. You, you just can't resist it. He's at work drawing you to himself. Friends, Jesus is not just an example. He's the initiator of our faith. And I would just encourage you, if that's you today, if you're here exploring Christianity, you just feel this tug, could it be that Jesus Christ himself is at work in your life, bringing you to himself? Don't resist. Come quickly to Jesus. You won't regret it. But I love what he also says here. Not only is, the, is he the founder of your faith, but he's the perfecter of your faith. Earlier on, I said, you got to flee sin. You got to abandon sin. You got to fight sin. And here Hebrews reminds us, but you can't on your own. But there is one who is at work in you. He will finish it. He initiated your faith. The source of your faith is also the completer of your faith. And he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so when you run out of energy as you're running the race, look to Jesus. He was at the start of the race. He fired the gun. He is with you. He will empower you to make it to the end. The same Savior who finished the race will see to it that you finish the race too. And so look to him and get rid of every encumbrance and look to Jesus as both your example and as a source of the power you need to finish the race too. My fondest hope is one day that I will finish well. Uh, my greatest hope is not that um, I would be I don't know. I just, the older I, I just want to finish well. I want to get to the end and say, I was full of weakness. Uh, I never was a big deal. But man, I love Jesus. The older I got, the more I, my vision was full of him. The older I get, I just like, man, I don't want to go part way and let sin overtake my life. I don't want to get part way and become bitter, or grumpy, or overcome with sin. I want to get to the end and just say, I love Jesus. I want to get to the end and say, by God's grace, um, he's just enabled me to become more loving, to love better, to rejoice more, to complain less. I want to get to the end like a marathon runner and to reach the end with a clear view of Jesus saying, I made it. There's nothing more I want than more of Jesus. I can't do it on my own. It's going to take 
dealing seriously with sin. It's going to mean that I need your help in doing this. But it's also going to mean that I look to Jesus, who is at work in my weakness. But the good news is many have done it before. You and I know many who've done it before. You and I know some who've reached the end. I've conducted their funerals. I've witnessed their lives. I've seen them in the, at, at the end of their lives, and they finish well looking to Jesus. We can do it too. Famous preachers, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Spurgeon, have done it. Famous missionaries, Carrie, uh, Taylor, Carmichael, have done it. Our, some of our parents have done it. Some of our grandparents have done it. And Hebrews says, you can do it too. With God's help, let's run the race before us with endurance. Don't run 95 meters and stop. Endure by laying aside every encumbrance and focusing your eyes on Jesus, who both founded and will perfect your faith. And so, Lord, I pray, would you help us to finish well? Um, help us not to sputter. Help us not to get partway there. I want to pray for those who came today bearing just habitual sin. I thank you that you don't come to condemn us. That habitual sin was paid for at the cross. There's no sin, even habitual ones, that your blood doesn't cover. Father, you are a God who has grace upon grace for struggling sinners. And so, Lord, I pray for those who came in today just feeling weighed down with a sin which clings so closely. But Lord, I pray by your, the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help them to begin to lay it aside? I pray that today they would uh, just come before you and repent of that sin, to acknowledge it before you, to cry out to brothers and sisters to, by the power of the Spirit, consider themselves dead to that sin. Lord, today won't be the end of the battle. Uh, maybe actually the battle will continue the rest of their lives, but I pray today that they would just say, I'm not going to make peace with this. I've just got to lay it, I've got to figure out how to lay it aside. Pray for some of us who've just maybe grown complacent and we've allowed uh, other things that aren't necessarily sinful in themselves, but they're obscuring our view of you. They're taking away our enjoyment of you. Lord, would we lay that aside as well? But Lord, thank you for Jesus. We look to him because we couldn't finish this race on our own. We see his example, but more than that, we see his power in our lives. Thank you that he initiated our race. Thank you that he's empowering our race. And thank you, Lord, that he will perfect our race. He will help us complete the race by his power. And so, Lord, we look to Jesus. When we run out of power, he doesn't. When we are faithless, he's not faithless. He is faithful. And so, Lord, help us to look to Jesus. And, Lord, my greatest desire is one day we will stand in his presence all our sins will be laid bare. And as we feel the weight of our sins that we've committed, we'll look to the cross and realize that he paid for all of them. On that day, Lord, all the, the guilt, all the, the shame will be removed. And Lord, we'll look to Jesus and say, I love you. And he'll look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because we were perfect, but because we looked at Jesus, we trusted in him, and we ran the race with our eyes fixed on him. Lord, until that day, would you keep us faithful, we pray in Jesus' name.
So we are going to do our Q&R. Is this the right, is this the right website? It is. Okay, good. Okay. I'm on something else. So. But I'm getting questions, so I think I'm doing the right thing. Um, okay, Daryl, we have uh, several questions here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze a couple of these questions together because they're related. So the first one is, how do I manage the anxiety from constantly experiencing sins in my life? It's like living with a viper who's always next to us in a car. And then the, the next separate one that kind of related to that is, what if you fail to run the race with endurance? Is your salvation at risk? So how do you manage the anxiety of, of the sins that can weigh us down? And if you fail to persevere, uh, is our salvation at risk? So both of them I'll answer with uh, a good friend of mine. Actually, you might know him, Ken Davis, who oh, yeah. was a pastor for a while. He said, you know, the mark of a Christian is not sinlessness, but struggle. And uh, I think what he was saying is, if you feel the weight of sin because it's always there, as long as you're struggling with it and you're not making peace with it, that's a sign that you're progressing in your faith. And that has been so encouraging to me that I think what he was saying is, uh, if you're feeling the anxiety of like, man, it's still a struggle, I'm still falling into it, uh, he would say like, man, praise God that it's a struggle because that's what you're meant to be doing. So if you're feeling the anxiety of it, you know, I would say... There's this weird thing in the Christian faith, like sin is dangerous to your soul, but if you're progressing in your battle against it, you don't need to feel the anxiety. You can feel the smile of God as you continue to struggle with that sin. Um, and the other, in terms of like, yeah, I think the real danger is when we make peace with sin. So if you stop struggling, if you make peace with sin, you don't have assurance of faith anymore. Mm. Uh, but if you continue to battle that sin, you can be assured that, uh, again, Raise your hands if you're sinless today. Like, <laughs> is there anybody who, like, I've sinned, uh, who was it? I think it was Whitfield that said, I can't preach or pray without sinning. Everything we do is tainted with sin. So, uh, again, it's not, I think it's making peace with sin that uh, we lose our assurance, we lose our, but if you're fighting against sin, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And you can just be encouraged you know, God could have snapped his fingers at your salvation and made you sinless. He didn't. Hmm. For whatever reason, he's chosen that we have the long, slow, winding route of sanctification. If, if that's what the Holy Spirit has decided to allow in our lives, we can be okay that he's hmm. going to see us through to the end. Yeah. yeah, that's super helpful. Just thinking in terms of don't make peace with your sin. Yeah. Like that's kind of the issue at hand. That's right. It's not, yeah. it's not the presence of sin. Right. I remember when I was in my 20s and like just the presence of certain sin in my life gave me so much anxiety, and I'm just like, ah, oh, I wish I could go back to my 20-year-old self and be like, no, just don't make peace with the sin. That's right. Continue to wage war against that sin. Yeah. And, uh, and that the Father loves you. Like, he's our heavenly Father, yeah. right? He, he's not looking at us, rolling our, his eyes at us. He's, he's our Father, and he's, he's helping us, right? Yeah. That's super helpful. Um, this one's a bit wordy, so I'll try to... Um, so you, can you clarify what you mean by what can... Can is capitalized. What can weigh you down? We should cut off. What is a discernible way to understand this since anything in life can fit in this category, especially when we know our hearts are deceitful? So I think just discerning, you know, any, anything can weigh us down. So how do we discern when it is? You know, uh, I think actually this is where community comes in handy. Um, I think we need people who can point at things in our lives and say, well, actually, or even... Uh, screen time can actually be one of those things, even though it's not another person. I think getting people to give us feedback to say, yeah, like, 
you know, I know you're a runner. Uh, I think that running can actually aid your walk with God. I know that when, uh, I'm sure when you're running, part of why you run is because you enjoy it. And part of it is, I'm sure, because you enjoy it, it actually might bring you closer to God. But I can imagine somebody who, where running becomes like an obsession and crosses that line of being helpful to obsessive. And in that case, it's like, you probably need somebody, I'm sure Alicia would actually tell you, What are you doing, Too man? much. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Shh. that's right. <laughs> so it's a really hard thing to measure, but I think that's where other people come in handy and say, that's crossed a line. Like, it's not wrong in itself, but now it's become a little bit unhealthy. So yeah, probably community helps with that. Um, but you're right, anything, because sin isn't just sinful things. Sin is idolatry, which is making any of God's good gifts more important than God. So any, even good things can become sinful. We probably just need people who are like, are you sure you're not beginning to love that more than God? Or that's beginning to affect your relationship with God. Right. So I'm going to add my own question in here. So, yeah. so somebody from church or our spouse or whatever comes up to us and says, Nick, I think running is too much in your life. It has become too much of a thing. I think it's actually um, distracting you from your walk with Christ. How should I respond? Okay, so number one is uh, not defensively. <laughs> so probably like, oh, that's interesting. You would say that. Like, tell me more. Why do you think that is? And then if you're not sure, I think if you know some God, like one of the, I'm so grateful for this church because I've just come to realize I don't have perspective of my own life. I need other people. So I would just find some other trusted people and say, hey, somebody came up to me today and said, uh, what do you think? Like, does this make sense to you? And if two or three people start to go, yeah, like I've been thinking that for a while, then probably begin to take it seriously. If you go to two or three trusted people and they're like, I don't think that's really on base, like still consider it, pray about it, but probably then you don't need to take it quite as seriously. But yeah, we really, I, we're not really, it's like carnival mirrors. We look in the mirror, we don't see an accurate view of ourselves. We really need other people to help us. Right, yeah. that's helpful. All right, so here's a bit of a discernment question. Um, should your spouse know about your sins if so, to what extent? This is such a circumstantial question. Yeah. I've heard of uh, marriages where it's actually been really harmful uh, to, like, uh, for instance, a, a guy could be struggling with pornography and he, they're newly married and he talks to his wife and said, you know, I looked up porn. And uh, for some, some women, they might go, not a surprise. Uh, I, thank you for telling me. I appreciate your honesty. For other women, it can be devastating and hurtful and cause significant, a significant crisis. So I think it is so circumstantial depending on, now broaden it out from just that one issue. I think it really depends on uh, the, who you're married to and what they're able to handle. But here's what I would say in general. Don't, your spouse already struggles with your sin. Uh, it already impacts them. However possible, don't lay an additional burden on them if it's going to be uh, hurtful for them. So I would find somebody else. And as part of that process, you might want to consider, you don't want to keep secrets from your spouse. So part of that would be like, what's an appropriate way to share what I'm going through with my spouse that yeah. wouldn't actually burden them? You don't want to have secret, but you don't want to necessarily make them uh, everything, right? Yeah. You don't want them to be your transparency partner and tell them every time you struggle. You want other people probably. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, sometimes it can be, like what you said, circumstantial, right? Yeah, and absolutely. Like, sometimes it can be a bit of a selfish thing because my personality could be like, 
what I need to do in my sin is to unload, right. and then you kind of give it to your spouse, and it's like, okay, you deal with it. I feel good now, right? <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, spicy. All right. Uh, <laughs> how do leaders and elders in the church maintain transparency? How do we establish standards for leaders and what sins could disqualify them? Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. Um, leaders will struggle with sin and... I think there are disqualifying sins for sure, and that's one of the reasons why we need to take sin seriously. I think that, um, what, I mean, a rule that I've, I've set for myself, and please pray that I keep this rule, is that there's going to be no secret. So that if I struggle with something, somebody's going to know. Somebody trusted is going to know. And uh, so I've got a friend that basically he, he knows everything. Like, there's no secrets in my life. And I trust him enough to say, if he says... Daryl, that's disqualifying, then that becomes a, a discussion that I bring to the elders here and say, man, I've got this in. I, I just, as a rule, don't keep secrets. And this guy thinks it's becoming as big a, of an issue that I need to bring it to you. And, and I think that's a general rule. Like, uh, all of us have to have somebody that knows our sins and gives us feedback. But I wouldn't broadcast it necessarily widely. Like, I've told you, one of my sins is in, like, I can, if I am having a bad day, I start to, oh, like just grumble about things. I don't think that is a disqualifying sin, but it could become one if it grows too much. And there's other things where, yeah, we just need to have short accounts and be honest. And then look at the uh, qualifications for elders and take them seriously. Uh, By the way, one of my, I don't know if I totally agree with this, but one one of my mentors talked about a church where if somebody came and asked for help with the sin, they received help, but if they were keeping a sin secret and it was discovered, that became a firing offense. So in other words, if they were struggling with some area of really dark sin and they came and said, I don't want this to take over my life, I need help, we got all, like, we might ask you to take a leave, we might take it, it might have, but we're going to have all the time in the world for you. But if we discover that you've been covering something up and it's been a habitual pattern for years, it's going to be a different category because it's then it's not just the struggle with sin itself. It's been like a pattern of cover-up and deception right. yeah. that is even more serious. Yeah. Um, there's lots of great questions. How, how much more time do we have? Do we have a couple more minutes? I think we can, yeah, yeah okay, two or three minutes. Um, can you explain the portion that says despising the shame? Yeah, so uh, the shame of the cross it was enormous that Jesus Christ it was the most shameful death that uh, cursed, you know, even the Old Testament says that everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. It was done not just to execute somebody, but to shame them. And Jesus basically said, I don't care. I'm, I'm willing to endure that shame for the sake of the mission that God gave me so I could be glorified. So I think it's reflecting on, he looked at the shame of the cross and he's like, I'll do it because of what lies ahead, what I'll gain with it. All right, uh, there was one here that I saw. Uh, how do we cultivate a community where people are regularly confessing sins? And I will add to that without, beating, without being weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> one of the stories that stuck with me is uh, there was a guy who showed up at church one day and he was so sick he, of, and he just stood up one day and he unloaded, like, I've been struggling with this and this and this. And uh, he was deeply embarrassed because he said, nobody's going to want to talk to me anymore because I've just unloaded my sins in kind of a probably not appropriate way. And uh, somebody else stood up, an old godly person, and said, 
is that all you got? <laughs> it was like, let me tell you about my struggle with sin. And uh, so I think becoming a church where, so when I was a teenager, um, I struggled with, actually I snuck into a bookstore one day and looked at a magazine I shouldn't have of, of curiosity. And I remember going to my pastor and saying, I just feel so overcome with guilt that I, you know, overcome with all this, uh, I, I did this. And he was, he was like, <gasps> and I, I, I think, now I don't want to throw him under the bus, but I want to be a, I don't want to be a church where we're like, if somebody comes and confesses sin and you're like, <gasps> yeah. like, like, yeah, like me too. You know, I might be a different sin, but uh, yeah. So I think just cultivating that humility where we're ready to meet sinners and help them struggle against sin and not be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why we actually incorporate confession of sin yeah. oftentimes into our service as well, right? Like we, that's right. Through, through doing that, you may not be confessing a specific sin in, in the moment, but, um, but it's actually helping us to develop a habit, habit and habitually uh, confess sins corporately so that we'll be comfortable confessing uh, to one another as well. Yeah. So thank you, Daryl. There, there's so many great questions there. Sorry I couldn't get all, to all of them. Uh, but if uh, you have, uh, if, if you really want to know the answer, you can always ask Daryl after the service or uh, one of the elders or anybody um, uh, around you as well that's a member of this church. So let's pray and uh, thank the Lord. Father, we thank you uh, for the word that was proclaimed and which we have heard. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not make peace with our sin, that you would help us to wage war against anything that might hold us back from following you. And we thank you ultimately for Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Lord, that he gave spark to that faith in our lives, drew us to yourself. And we thank, Lord, thank you, Lord, that he will perfect it, that he will keep us to the end and that we can be certain that you are our father, that you care for us and that you are leading us home. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.